God's Waiting Room, Geezer Glen, Catheter Flats, the Rinkley Ranch, whatever euphemistic pet name you have for long-term care homes, the overall sentiment remains the same. It's the last stop. But is all hope lost? Is there no joy, shenanigans, thefts, laughter, sex? My guest Tristan Squire-Smith spent two decades in the clinical area of long-term care, and he's here to share some of his observations and stories on this episode of the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. On the show today with me is Tristan Squire-Smith. He is the author of The Wrinkly Ranch, an unbelievably funny, shocking, and poignant anecdotes of life and work in long-term care. Tristan, thanks for uh, taking the time to be here on the show. It's it's interesting in terms of the angle that you came in to write this book because, you know, it's, it's a special kind of person that's going to spend time working in long-term care. And I know you've spent over two decades in that area and your book talks about a lot of the things that you've seen. How did you end up you know, working in the industry. Well, thanks so much for having me on, David. I really, I uh, really appreciate that. Happy to be here. You know, it, it's so funny. I think like a lot of things in life, you kind of just stumble into it. So my first exposure to long-term care was actually working in housekeeping at a local hospital uh, where I'm from in London, Ontario. Um, so that was sort of a job that got me through um, weekends when I was an undergrad you know, help me uh, pay for school. Um, so just being, uh, you know, working in housekeeping in a hospital. And then, you know, from that, it was actually a sort of attached to a long-term care facility. So that was my first exposure to it. Uh, not only the residents themselves, but the, you know, various types of staff. And I think that was, yeah, I mean, that was sort of my, my, my first, like I said, my first exposure to it, um, what was involved um, and the, the number of different types of people who worked in that area, I think is uh, most surprising if you're not familiar with that environment. Right. Well, let's get it up front. You say right in the beginning of the book that you've got a natural knack of saying <laughs> the wrong thing or getting under people's skin. So this is the place to <laughs> let you continue that, that uh, you know, the, the process of how you, how you deal with people. So in your opinion, what do you see as the state of the long-term care industry yeah so i mean i just to go back to that first statement there yeah just i mean that's just a knack i have you know for getting under people's skin and i think i use that you know very early on in the book just to acknowledge that um there are a lot of taboos around death and dying and whatnot and i think it's important to just speak frankly about these topics right so you know i um i'm very upfront i make no reservations about the, you know, the materials that I, I discuss. Uh, I think it's important to talk about these sorts of things. Um, Such as? Really because a lot of people are uncomfortable, right? So I've had a lot of experiences that you wouldn't normally uh, have just really by working as a registered nurse on those front lines, right? So, so you know, when I approach it, just very, very frankly, I, I you know, I don't try and tiptoe around things, Um you know, I take, I tackle things head on. Right. So, so that sort of direct approach, you know, may come as a surprise to some. And that's why I sort of said that I get under people's, you know, <laughs> get under people's skin or might rub them the wrong way at first. Right. So, sorry. Cool. So, so what are, so what are some of the areas 
that you think that that you take the time to say that people are uncomfortable or don't want to hear? Well, I think just generally speaking, if you look at it from like a 20,000 foot view, I just think that a lot of people don't like discussing, let alone planning properly for 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 their own deaths, right? Or for the deaths of their parents. or um, And I think that can make things worse, right? Like I've seen a lot of infighting between grown siblings about how they wanted to proceed with their, you know, their, their dying parents, you know, care. And I think that comes to the detriment of that person's care in, in that, in that case. Right. Um, so I just think it's a fact of life. It's, 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 it's a part of life that uh, just like any other that has its own challenges and, and um, uh, rewards too, I think uh, if handled, handled properly. So I think it's, it's an opportunity for, for, first and foremost, I wrote this to to educate people, right? So I hope you know when they read my my book that they actually come away knowing a little bit more, right? Right. So part of you know because uh, you say it is part of life. You've seen siblings fighting, and it, it comes to a point. I mean, I had to uh, do it in our family is to find some sort of care for. In my case, it was for my dad, and the way that you know the uh, the healthcare system is. Today, finding a bed, you talk about some of the stuff that people should know about getting a bed for a loved one when that time does come. So what should people be looking for? Yeah. So, you know, to be clear, like I, while I've worked on, on the front lines of long-term care, um, I've never worked in sort of the uh, intake process to determine fitness for um, accessing a long-term bed from the community standpoint, right? So. Right. Uh, the, the best thing anyone can do when it's starting to come time is, is really to be prepared. So do your work ahead of time, right? So really it's whether the first initial contact is with your, your family physician or with a community agency, um, just to determine, you know, who makes that initial assessment, right? Like how, where's the, where does the intake process start, right? So just learning, and it'll be different depending on where you are in the country, um, learning how to act access that and what those initial steps are just to say, okay, you know, these are the things that we should be looking out for. This would be when it would be appropriate to have an initial assessment to determine, you know, fitness or, or readiness for a long-term care bed. Uh, and then ultimately to get on the list for one, right. And as you've mentioned, uh, there is, and there can be quite a long waiting period um, between, you know, when you're first deemed appropriate to when you can finally access, uh, access a bed. Yeah, it's it, you know, it when the time does come, because a lot of times you maybe don't get to plan for it. It might be a a, um, a situation where you're thrown into where a parent is in the hospital and they can't go back home. And then all of a sudden you're open to the world of, well, I've got to find long term care. And but then you come to find there's a list, there's a waiting list. And in, in the, wherever the facility is may not be close to where. You live and it may not, um, you know, be pragmatic for for the family to have the the loved one there. So, having worked on the front lines and you know seeing people being put in into facilities, do you see that people? Do you see that some patients shouldn't be at a particular facility because the they you know the family has made some mistakes in putting uh, choosing where they are. You know, that's a great point. I mean, further to your your example of something tragic happening, like a fall on a broken hip or having a stroke, for example. 
example, where someone is rushed from their daily life to a hospital acute care setting, right? So, you know, long-term care beds are given according to need, right? So if there's an emergent need, then of course, you know, people on the wait list will be sort of bumped back accordingly, right? Um, and the instances where someone um, requires more complex care, then generally speaking, they'll have that, they'll receive that care outside of long-term care. And then, you know, as their acute care needs are met and, you know, they, they don't, they're no longer required, then maybe a long-term care bed becomes more appropriate. Right. But of course, there's a whole host of community resources available in terms of care at home and whatnot too. And again, that is something that needs to be discussed and, you know, within the sphere of it being appropriate or sufficient and all that, right? In terms of someone not being appropriate for a bed, well, I see it actually less as the less from the family standpoint, but more for um, certainly I've seen and with the case of um, residents with uh, a more aggressive like dementia, let's say, right? right? So if there's an underlying mental health component that makes a long-term care setting uh, insufficient for their needs, again, whether they're a risk for themselves or a risk for other people's safety, then of course you, you kind of get into a, a psychogeriatric type of um, discussion where a mental health bed may be more appropriate. Right. Um, but from a family standpoint, I, I don't, I've, I've not seen someone admitted um, prematurely, let's say, right? right? Um, I, I, you, don't, you don't tend to see that so much. Uh, certainly I've seen, um, residents being placed in beds that aren't a family's first, second, or third choice, just because it was the first bed that became available. Right. And I understand that, you know, that's, that's inconvenient for the family, but certainly if someone needs a long-term care bed, it's always best for the resident to take the first bed that's available and then maybe remain on a list for a future transfer to a, maybe a preferred facility that might be closer to family. Does that affect how the, the, the resident, you know, interacts with other patients, interacts with you, the staff, does it have an effect on them psychologically that uh, they've been put in this place? Maybe they want to, or is it hard the first couple of days yeah, for sure. Right. Like, you know, like, like any move is, is tough on anybody, no matter how old you are. You know, if I were to go move right now, you know, it would disrupt my patterns too. Right. So I think again, where it makes them the most, um, I wouldn't say dangerous, but the maybe most unsettling uh, change would be for those who have an underlying um, dementia or forgetfulness or something like that. Right. Who may be especially challenged in, in, in terms of adapting to a new environment. And new routines. Of course, the staff are aware of that. They, you know, assist as best they can to ease any transition. Right. Um, often, I mean, the vast majority of times, residents don't necessarily know anybody else in the building where they're going. In a few cases, you may have a spouse joining, you know, their their significant other in a facility. Really, beyond that, it's 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 quite rare for the staff or other residents to know one another prior to admission. Yeah. You've seen a lot. Um through the eyes of a patient, what is it really like to be a, a resident? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, it really goes down. I think it's very individualistic, right? I think it, you know, when people are admitted, it's not like they lose their own identity or, or personality, right? So the personality really shines through. So, you know, you see the why you see the whole gamut, right? So if you if 
you know, if you find those people who tend to prefer to spend time alone, then, you know, you know, kind of where to find them in their room. And, you know, they, they're more than welcome to decline joining in with organized events and whatnot. Right. On the other hand, if you have people who are very social, that there's those opportunities to um, to join in on in group activities and and, you know, whatever fitness things are going on and, and all that to those events. Right. And it's actually interesting. So the social component is often um, uh, not fully appreciated in terms of the main benefit of going into long term care. I mean, other than having your physical needs met that you may not be able to elsewhere. A lot of residents actually, like their quality of life improves socially as well, right? Simply because they're finally amongst other people, right? Where they're not necessarily isolated at home, right? right? So, you know, instead of maybe just your only interaction is, you know, watching the TV all day, or maybe you have one person to call on the phone, all of a sudden, you know, you've got people to speak with at mealtime right? You've got people to play cards with. You've got people, you know what I mean? There's all, there's yeah, all those sorts of yeah. things, right? So, because, you know, I have friends that have, you know, put their, have their parents in, in long-term care. A lot of times they're, they're put in the, the, the long-term care and then they're just neglected. The family doesn't go back and see them. They might go visit them on Mother's Day or at Easter or something like that. But, you know, all intents and purposes, they've just been put in this facility and they don't go and visit them. So I guess on the social aspect, the the resident kind of finds like a new sort of family or a new social uh, network to you know continue on enjoying you know the what other days they have left. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, again, you get this 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 you you see it all the whole spectrum, right? So you have some family who are almost you know I'm not going to say too involved, but you know you know they're calling and becoming and you know every single day right so to, to so, one so they become like, helicopter parents that's right and then you and then you have you know the other end where like you don't even know who this person is who's coming to see someone right where you know maybe they'll come once a year or something like that right and you know we get it if people live outside of the province outside of the country even right like you know there's only so much you can do and of course you know the staff are, are accommodating right so yeah when, you, when you, you see that type of you know the person that's neglected and they only get to see the family once a year for whatever reason do you do you spend extra time with them or they understand if they're having a bad day why they're be, why they're having a bad day that they might be a little bit difficult with not only staff but with other uh, other residents for sure right like i think environments of try back this up a little bit environments of care like if you were to juxtapose long-term care versus sort of acute care, right? I think the types of people who would go into long-term care are the ones who value relationship making, right? Um, which is just sort of a, a just a curious you know observation that I've made over time, right? Right. So you know anyone working in hospital, I mean, God bless them, right? Like people, you know, you're here to get fixed. You got an issue. We're going to take care of you. You know, you come in, you get better, and then you leave, right? And then repeat, 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 right? Some people may not realize like, you know, once residents are admitted to long-term care, they may be there for years. Like I've known residents who are in long-term care for over 10 years, right? So to your point, of course, like someone, you know, if you live with someone, you work with someone every day, like they are your family, you know, and all, and all in a different name, right? So any long, I mean, any staff is, of course, we're, we're bound to treat everybody equally, right? So we're not going to like, you know, not spend time with certain people, spend time with others. But of course, like we're the, the we're attuned to the nuances of of certain residents' social situations, 
any potential abusive backgrounds they may have had, right? Sometimes it's a good thing that they're separated from their family. You know, and obviously like we facilitate um, phone calls, virtual meetings, all that sort of things too, right? Which is actually probably one of the side benefits of having gone through COVID is that many more people are, are more fluid and more understanding and more um, adept at using these sorts of means of virtual communication, yeah. right? I've, so never thought of obviously that, yeah. no substitute for in-person visits, but um, yeah, it's all, it's all part and parcel and we do our best to, to meet everyone's needs, right? So why do you make it a point in the book that people have a will? Have you seen how families are affected when they don't have one? Absolutely. Right. Like, and I think, so to be fair, I mean, just like to clarify the scope of, you know, my point of view, right. So as a registered nurse, like certainly I'm leading their care, you know, throughout the palliative process. Um, right. But you become, so I'm not, I have nothing to do with, you know, the, the financial distributions absolutely, of people, absolutely, uh, all right. that stuff after the fact, right? But but part and parcel, like it, it's, it tends to be a correlation. The people who don't have, you know, their powers of attorney, you know, whether for care or finances, like I see it on the care side, I don't see it on the financial side, right, right. but there does tend to be a strong correlation. Whereas if you don't have advanced directives in place, you probably also don't have advanced directives in case for your finances and, and whatnot too, right? So it's just, it's, it's, it's just a shame, right? Like, cause there's no, it's, it's, you know, pain and suffering at that point is needless, right? So there, there should be no arguments. There should be no undue suffering for someone who, you know, really there's no point in doing these heroic measures, sending people to hospital and whatnot, when we can just really just take care of their pain and, and have really just pain management. Have you seen, um, can you think of a time where you've, seen that happen? I've definitely witnessed many times where, you know, I purely from a clinical standpoint um, would say that, you know, this person's health is clearly declining um, irreparably. Um, I personally think, and I'm of the opinion, and so is the care team when I speak with, you know, nurse practitioners and physicians and whatnot too, that they are appropriate for palliative care and, and more aggressive pain management. Uh, and in so doing, you know, removing other treatments. Uh, but the family they're not ready to let go. Like they're not mentally there yet that they then think that that's not the right way to go, right? So we're basically looking after the family through the resident, right? Meanwhile, the resident isn't nearly as comfortable as they could be, right? right? So in those cases, it's really difficult because while I'm uh, I'm empathetic to the, the, the family's you know, sadness and, and feelings of loss, it, they're really acting selfishly at that point. There's no, there's no need to, 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 you know, to have and, someone suffer needlessly. And that, and, and that, uh, as I've been an advisor for over 35 years and helping people, you know, with the, uh, the state planning side, I say the reason why you do have these healthcare directives is not to put the family in that situation because you're telling the family, you know, when I was well, this is what I, want. this is, this yeah. is what I wanted. So there's no ambiguity in terms of, I wonder what mom would want. This is not what dad exactly. would want, which leads to what you're saying, you know, um, the selfishness. Well, I don't know if it's selfishness, but they just don't know because this yeah. situation has been thrown upon them and they have no clear directives, which could easily be taken care of if there were, you know, um, in a power of attorney and, and other 
documents going forward to uh, to give guidance because that's what you're doing because you're leaving the family basically disorganized and in chaos. Absolutely, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So when someone dies, there's, there's a change at the facility, and you must have seen again a lot of you know different things happening. Could you tell a story about the family who wanted their their loved one to be? Um, they've always wanted to be driven in a Benz, so they were going to be taken <laughs> away. So, yeah. So I, I just I, I I think to mention that, and again, I think going back to what you just said, where the sort of chaos and people don't necessarily know how to react, and you know everyone deals with loss and grief and shock differently. There's no right or wrong. So this was just me sharing uh, an anecdote where the hearse that had come to collect uh, the body was a Mercedes sprinter van, right? And um, it was just, so we we had had the the honor guard, which is a little ceremony we have for any resident, um, just with all the staff at the front door with any family who may be present, just one last prayer and on, you know, just honoring that one, that one life lived before the body leaves the home. And um, so I'd, I'd escorted the funeral home outside with, with, with these family members and we'd put, we'd place the body in the van. And upon closing the doors, of course, you see the, the Mercedes star. And that was just when one of the family members said, well, they always wanted to ride in the Benz and, there you go, right? And it was just one of those things where you're not supposed to laugh, but it was, and did, you know, it was funny. Also, it obviously made a mark, right? And they all, didn't they also make the remark to drive safely? They did, yeah, exactly, right? Like it was just one of those things where <laughs> drive safely. Yeah, yeah. We're, like we're, you almost we're... say these, you, you you almost say these things without thinking, right? I mean, we always say to people, you know, hey, drive safe or all that sort of thing, right? Without really thinking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thinking it through and of course it's it's funny right like and, and this is the thing like this is just one way of of coping with death or working through it that i don't think is unhealthy i think there is a place for humor right now we, i've had people on that you know talk about uh, grief and it's okay to laugh grief comes upon you and you and you don't expect it it's an emotion an emotion that we're we, we really don't know how to handle and everybody handles it differently but it's okay. And in that situation there where, you know, they said, oh, you know, you've always wanted to be in a Benz, you're in a Benz and, and, you know, you're, you know, they're leaving and say, okay, drive safely. Of course, that's going to be funny. And it, yeah, well, of, it, course. It, of course, right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you touch, talk about in the book. I don't know why you felt it was important to talk about bath time at the long-term care, but maybe you want to share why that was important. Yeah. Well, again, like this is just, um, sorry, if I just back up a little bit here. So the, the the book that I wrote is really just a collection of very short chapters, and I and as you mentioned, like you know, with the issue of bath time, right? Like I discuss very concrete, mundane, day to day, like tasks, events, um, environments, that sort of thing, just so that to give people a, a really fulsome understanding of what it actually means on a day to day basis, right? Like, and, and that's what's book, good, right? great about. Sorry to interrupt you, but but that's what's great about the book because you basically walk people through all of the things that actually go on in a long-term care facility that they've lit they're they're leaving their their loved one behind so it's not a question of they left them there in the bed and then there's other things and there's people working with them every day and you know you share a little bit about the bath time yeah yeah so again like and i try to to weave you know, personal anecdotes, uh, you know, and some humor, you know, where has I've experienced into these sort of chapters, right? So, 
So well, tell me about the bath time. Yeah, tell example, me about bath time. Like, I it, yeah, well, I mentioned it just because like it's it, it, like the aspect of socialization where it's an unexpected benefit where a resident's quality of life actually improves. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of people on term care are no longer able to sit, stand, walk, whatever by themselves, right? So we, there's a lot of different mechanical lifts, right? So part of the benefit of this is that um, people are able, anyone in long-term care is able to enjoy a nice warm bath, right? And that's something that a lot of them haven't been able to enjoy for a really long time if they were living at home, um, you know, with or without the proper supports in place, right? So it's really interesting to see um, how much people actually look forward to their bath, right? So it's um, it, it's just one of those simple pleasures in life that we, you and I may take for granted, um, but definitely something to uh, that I thought I, that I thought I would share, right? Yeah. So it's it's just one of those okay. things, right? Where it's an unexpected it's an unexpected benefit that really gets gets discussed. Yeah, but I think also what's great about your book is is that it's written through the through your eyes as being a, a long-term care uh, practitioner, but also, you know, in terms of for the family members, but I also look at it as if someone, you know, what your future could look like in terms of where you may end up and what to expect. And the reason I'll use that example is uh, years ago, I blew out my knees and for the- Oh, sorry physical... to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, 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 the physical therapy, you know, we were, you know, working me out at home, but we decided that it was decided that I would go into a um, long-term care facility uh, not far from my home. So I spent from Monday to Friday there. So I okay. saw through, you know, what you're talking about, you know, in terms of, and I tell people that's, that's our future, whether we like it or not, the longer we yeah. live and then we can't take care of ourselves, we're going to be into that facility. So I remember having, breakfast in the morning and i remember you know with everybody else in my wheelchair wheeling down the 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 hallway going to to uh, breakfast and dinner so it, it's great that you know you're writing the book for helping people to help you know find um what a facility will look like for their loved one but also they need to think about this is what your future could look like uh, going forward as the longer uh, absolutely. you absolutely absolutely yeah yeah and i mean <laughs> You know, in case the pandemic wasn't reason enough to learn to like, you know, as another reason to push people to look better, you know, to look after themselves, maybe a little bit better. Right. I think you do notice like there's actually the most amount of difference between people as they age. Right. So, you know, people in long term care can be from their late 60s to their late 90s. Right. Depending on, you know, maybe their circumstances and how well or poorly they've looked after themselves right throughout their lives right so it's for me it's a bit motivating in that respect right yeah, well i i got a glimpse of it you know it, it is a, a sort of a uh, a reason to take more take care of yourself and also it, again to see what to, what the future is going to look like and i lived it for um it must have been like uh two months monday to friday in a, a mm -hmm. residence like that we're almost near the end of this conversation i tried to avoid it but um <laughs> I think in the chapter here, you call it, let's talk about sex, baby. So let's talk about sex. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, not just still a line from a you know song from the nineties there, but it's, I think, um, again, I want to give a very fulsome, very factual account of the whole spectrum of experiences that you see. Right. So as people 
um, may suffer from dementia, part of that also becomes that they, they, they become a lot more disinhibited, right? So you start to see um, overtly sexual behaviors, but there's no, like I said, like there's, there's, there's very, there's a lack of disinhibition, right? So, and the other thing I keep saying is like older adults are still adults, right? They still feel the whole gamut of human emotions and desires and whatnot too. And life goes on right until the end, right? So um, what would, what would you know, surprise we, people? We do about... have married couples in long-term care. Yeah. So what would surprise you? What would surprise what, what surprise people? Pe- what would surprise people about what's going on in uh, long-term care facilities? Oh, I mean, <laughs> nothing really surprises me anymore. I feel like I've seen absolutely everything, but you know, right. I, I, I mentioned this, but I mean, there you, you'll find sex toys in long-term care, right? Like you'll find objects that residents misuse as sex toys as well. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that you really have to be careful and mindful of and respectful of too. Right. So we have to remember that, you know, this is people's homes, right? People are living here. This is their house. Right. So um, we have to be sensitive to that and it's all part and parcel of it. Right. So it's, it, <laughs> we, you may not expect it, but, uh, and it's, it's funny to see adult like adult children being told of what, you know, their parents are doing or, you know, some of the interactions that may have been witnessed and some of the, you know, precautions that may have to happen or, or, you know, tissue damage or, you know, infections and stuff like that. We just need to be mindful of, right? So it's, those, those can be awkward conversations um, where you hear a pin drop. But well, no, it's, no, it's well nobody wants to hear about, it, it's the ooh factor. Nobody wants to hear about their mom and dad or their, dad getting busy yes. in a yeah. nobody wants to hear that it's, it's, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> it's your dad you don't and, and listen it's not just the it's not just the dads the women are just as bad you know well, so i wasn't gonna say um, that but okay but but again like i was being trying to be respectful but you see the way you know what the, everybody's out there they're just doing it that, that's why i thought it was interesting that you do mention in the book i i and you know, like you said um you said there's more uh, dildos than you, you'll probably yeah. see more dildos yeah. there than you'll see in an adult uh, uh, sex store. So again, it's part of life. It's just that you don't expect it because you figure, okay, they're at a long-term care and they're, you know, you know, uh, a big time for be for them will be at four o'clock when the biscuits come around. That, for, exactly. Yeah. Right. But exactly. there's other, there's other biscuits going around. At, that's, at, that's, 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 that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. That was awkward. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> so, so, so to 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 wrap this part up is that that don't be surprised what's going on in long term care, and that you know the the there's still people still have romantic feelings and also sexual feelings while they're still in in uh, the facilities, which is fine. This is great. And so that's good to know as well. You know, you you wrote the book. There's so many anecdotes. There's so many great things, and it does should open up people's eyes especially if they're they're thinking about you know putting a a loved one in a a well not putting but placing and making sure that they're in a the right re, uh, residency what do you think that you know you wrote the book that people should walk away from and they should learn after reading the book honestly just a bit more knowledge um i just think a more fulsome perspective uh, uh listen if people uh, people find it funny. I think that's great. I mean, I was, I I tried to walk the line between being informative, entertaining and respectful. Right. right? So 
uh, like I said, adult, older adults are still adults and life goes on until the end. Uh, um, but if, you know, you can be both entertained and come away with a bit more knowledge, I think that's the best possible outcome, you know, and part of that is also learning to kind of know what to expect, but also to be able to navigate the system a little bit more effectively too, right? So uh, it's very much a beginner's guide that's easy to pick up and put down. Yeah, and I, in a way, it was just I, I've just I've just seen so much. Maybe I've made the mistake of thinking that what I've seen is is particularly interesting or funny, but I do think that it's um, I think it's important, and I I think it's something like you said that will be pertinent to many people's lives, right? As the uh, baby boomer generation, you know, advances in age towards the the need of long term care. Has that changed how you're going to live your life? Do you see yourself? Finishing your days yeah, in a long-term care facility? You know, like personally, like I, I I, would really like people to get away from thinking that the worst thing that could happen is to end up in long-term care, right? Like, I, I don't think that's the worst thing. I think a, a long-term care offers a lot of, uh, as we've discussed, many aspects that improve someone's quality of life, right? And be in no doubt that it is the most appropriate environment for care um, when you reach a certain point, right? Um, does it change how I live? You know, I'm just, I'm very mindful of, of, of death and dying and aging, right? I, I have for the last 20 years, right? So to me, I, it just very matter of fact, um, I try and live as healthy and active a life as I can, but I would anyway, right? So, you know, maybe I'll use my body up now so that when I'm in long-term care, I'll, <laughs> I won't mind it so much. I'll, I'll use the rest. You need to you need to save up a little bit of something for when you get there. Any final thoughts? You know, I really just appreciate this. I think it's uh, I actually think it's been really healthy for us to have a conversation about long-term care without it just focusing on outbreak management or medications or anything like that. There's just so much more that's going on, right? Um, and the other thing too is I just I and I try and point this out is that it's really important to recognize that long-term care and healthcare in general are one of the facets of public service where there are innumerable different types of roles, but everybody has a job to do. And without everyone coming together and, and, and contributing um, in their own ways that the system wouldn't work, right? So I, I do try and point out that housekeeping are really important, that the, you know, the care aides, PSWs are, you know, they're the real heroes because they're doing the, the bulk of the hands-on care, right? So it's not just the physician. It's not just the registered nurse, right? Like, um, you know, dietitians, food service, the, the people who work in life enrichment, right? Like it's, it, it takes a whole team to provide the care and everybody in the team is worthy of respect and, and gratitude and, and patience, too, right? So it's, you know, everyone's doing their best. Staffing challenges are, are a, a, an absolute issue right now, as they are in all facets of healthcare. But generally speaking, I think it's been very healthy to have a conversation that isn't just about the negative. So if people want to find out, how can people get the book, find out a little bit more about you? How can they do that? So the book is published by Friesen Press. Uh, it's a Canadian company. Um, it is available um, to order online through the publisher. Uh, it's available online. I think you can order it uh, in Indigo, uh, via Indigo, uh, certainly online through Amazon. You can do it um, and check me out online at uh, the wrinklyranch.com and uh, I think on social media at Wrinkly Rancher. 
So, yep. How'd you come uh, up with course, how'd you come up with the name yeah. Wrinkly Rant? <laughs> So that's just long been my pet name for it. You know, the, the old Wrinkle Ranch or the old Wrinkly Ranch is just my pet name for long-term care. And I've had that, you know, since my early 20s when I'd work as a janitor and uh, it was just, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's, there's so many names, as I mentioned too, you know, catheter flats or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> heaven's waiting room or something like that right there's many different you know uh, geezer um, glenn um, geezer glenn that's right that's another good one too right yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I was, I know, was these, sort of... these euphemistic pet names right i think are are you know again it's not about you i feel like you can you can have fun with something serious while recognizing that it is still serious and worthy of respect right so i i, I do push that boundary but it's good to raise awareness and, and spark these conversations Kristen squire smith the author of the wrinkly ranch unbelievably funny shocking and poignant anecdotes of life and work in long-term care i want to thank you so much for being here on the executor help podcast hopefully we'll have you uh if we need some more chat about what's going on, um, I don't know if it's bath time or the, the sex talk, because um, you probably got more stories. <laughs> well, there's plenty you. more. Don't you worry. Yeah. And actually, Tino, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I really a, a appreciate your time, David. And of course, I'm posting new content all the time on my website and my blogs too. So don't forget, you know, don't forget to check those out at uh, therinkyranch.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.